I want to start with a, a little joke. Um, four men are in the hospital waiting room, so this is a long time ago, because their wives are having babies. A nurse goes up to the first one. My cord is way too tight. I can't even move. Nurse goes up to the first guy and says, Congratulations, you're the father of twins. That's odd, answers the man. I work for the Minnesota Twins. Poor guy. A nurse goes up to the second one. Congratulations, you're the father of triplets. That's weird, answers the third guy, or answers the second guy. I work for 3M Company. A nurse tells the third guy, Congratulations, you're the father of quadruplets. That's strange, he answers. I work for Four Seasons Hotels. The last man is groaning and banging his head against the wall in the waiting room. What's wrong, the others ask. He said, I work for 7-Up. The, the title of today's sermon is Groaning. I want to give, give me your best groan. All right. I want to start our study in Exodus this morning in Romans chapter 8. So if you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 8, um, beginning of verse 22. We've, we've sung some of these words already in the couple of our songs, but I want to hear these words together. So if you have it in your Bible or up on the screen, listen to these words. For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up until the present time. So this is the effect of sin in the world. John 8, 34 says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone has, who has sin is a slave of sin. All creation is groaning under the weight of sin. Every one of us, believe, believers as well, the verse goes on and it says this, And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of future glory. What hope we have as believers. But we still groan, don't we? Life is still hard. There's still the effects of sin in the world. So today, I'm thinking about the word groan. And, and God's calling me to be a pastor. I am privy to hear many different groans from people. The word kind of has this onomatopoeia feel to it. If you say groan the right way, the word can make you feel what it attempts. So one more time, I need you to say the word groan with me. Groan. Did, did you feel it? It's kind of there. There's, there's a groaning that, that is the very part of human condition. And I'm going to give you some examples, and feel free to read this as I do that. I, I'm thinking about a mission trip I led to Uganda. I took a, a, a few teens from that trip to a different village. And as we were traveling to that village, we got stopped at a checkpoint. And as we were parked there, this man walked up to the window, and he started knocking on the window. But he didn't have any hands. All he had was numb, nubs for hands. And as he knocked on the window, I could hear him groan. I'm thinking about a young boy at Lily of the Valley Orphanage. He did not want to engage in any of the activities that our group were, were doing. The balloon games, the tag, nothing. He, he, he sat on the swings for most of the time we were there during the daylight hours. But I will never forget the groans that he made as he swung on that swing. So much from deep 
physical abuse and emotional abuse. I will never forget his groans. I'm thinking about the kind of groans that emerge from, from and moves down the halls of a burn clinic. I visited one of our teens there years ago, and the sounds that were coming down the hall were awful. Maybe like me, you've been at the bedside of a loved one as they groaned and took their last breath. We're all familiar uh, with the groanings that we read about in Romans chapter 8. All creation groans, and that includes us as believers, but we got a foretaste of glory coming. When we move back to the book of Exodus, we see that this entire journey from, from oppression to liberation, from bondage to free, freedom, begins with groans. And to help us navigate this sermon, I've given us four handles to hold on to. Four, four phrases to help us move through this passage. Down to rise up, midwives, deep sighs, and bad moons rising. So the first movement this morning is down to rise up. There is no one in Egypt as powerful as, as Pharaoh. He, he was the most powerful ruler in the entire region. In fact, the pharaohs were known as the sons of gods. And all the statues, all the monuments, all the buildings built to them, kind of to, to him, were, were, were made to set him apart. And some of these monuments you could see from long, long ways away. And, and they were there to say, no one has as much power, no one has as much authority as me, Pharaoh. And don't ever forget that. Yet when we open our text for today, we, we find him, this Pharaoh, shaking in his sandals. He, he doesn't know what's coming, and he's afraid what might be coming. So I want us to read. There's going to be a lot of Bible today. We're from Exodus chapter 1, 8, all the way to the end of Exodus chapter 2. And as you can tell, my voice is not very strong this morning. I've been praying about this since Thursday. Like, God, give me enough voice to be able to speak. So because of that, I'm going to be having you guys read a lot of these sections with me. So three different big chunks. So let's just stand for this first one. And we're going to read verses 8 through, I think, 14 to start. This is Exodus, and I'm not going to talk much during these verses. So here we go. Eventually, a new king came to power. Nothing about Joseph. He said to his people, look, the people are now us, and we must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our Please take a seat. 
So there's this groaning that's rising up from their oppression. And yet Pharaoh is the one who is scared to think about these Israelites. These Israelites, they're just kind of different. They're, 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 they're different and they really can't be trusted. And they're growing in numbers. They talk different than us. They, they, their families do it differently than our families do it. They talk about their God in ways that we don't talk about our gods. The, the supper time, the aroma that comes from their kitchen is different than the aroma that comes from our kitchen. And there's just so many of them. We can't stop them. If we don't look at people who are different from us with understanding we are one step away from seeing these type of people with suspicion that's what's happening here with pharaoh i don't understand them can can anybody understand these israelites can can anybody trust what they're doing and then his suspension our suspicion uh, leads to fear and then it leads to defensiveness the, then the next step of the journey, two, three, is that, you know what? You just really need to get rid of them. They're, they're a threat. And I think back to 1939 in Nazi Germany. I think how the extermination of six million Jews did not begin with the final solution as it was later named. It began with, are we sure we want this family's business on our street? Can, can they really be trusted? These sons and daughters of Israel in 1939. And one accusation of suspicion leads to another, leads to another. And we're five, four, three steps away from extermination. I think about the Civil War in Rwanda. How the Hutas did not begin with blatant extermination of the people. But they began to talk about them differently. Called them tall trees grasshoppers, roaches. If we begin to think of a whole group of people as cockroaches, you're only three, four steps from agreeing with a policy that would exterminate a whole group of people. I think about Roe v. Wade, and our babies are not called babies. They're called fetuses. And as we open up the first chapter of Exodus, we see an example of this underway. The, the Israelites are being crushed physically and emotionally by Pharaoh. But they, they continue to thrive. They were brought down low, but they continued to rise up. God did that. God wants to do that in your life as well, too. He humbles you, and he rises you back up. Pharaoh begins to look at them differently. He looks at them with paranoia. He looks at them with fear. He looks at them with not understanding who they are. And he begins to talk about them differently too. <coughs> In just a few more voices, verses, we'll see that Pharaoh changes what he calls them. So far, he's called them Israelites. We've read about it. But later, he just calls them Hebrews. Hebrews, that nameless, hopeless, marginalized group of people. Those Hebrews you know. And it begins with how we speak and how Pharaoh speaks. But no matter how we speak or view people, it is God that brings people lower and it is God that raises people up. Verse 15 through 21. Please remain seated and let's read this together. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, 
watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. so much in this passage, but it brings us to the second movement as we walk through this passage, midwives. And these midwives have names, Shipra and Pua. We don't know if they're Hebrew or Egyptians. The text just says they are Hebrew midwives. But what does this really mean? Were they midwives who were Hebrew or Egyptians whose jobs it was to be midwives to the Hebrews? I like that the text is ambiguous as we read it. Because what is about to happen through these midwives is no respecter of ethnicity or nationality. The thing we are about to witness that happens to the, in and through them can happen to any one of us that yields our heart before God. Any one of us that has a willing heart to be say, God, I want to do what you say. I don't care what the authorities in my life say. And I'm going to follow you wholeheartedly. It's so fascinating that these, that these midwives have names. We, we don't even know Pharaoh's name at this time. The writer of the story doesn't even name Pharaoh. In fact, in this part of the story, he calls him the king of Egypt. Just very, very broad. But the writer deliberately makes it clear that 3,000 years later, in the 21st century, you and I are still calling these women by name, Shifra and Pua. And that raises a question in my mind as I thought about this. What is power and what is weakness? It raises the question because by all standards of the world, Pharaoh is the one with power. Pharaoh is the one with strength. And there was nobody who would stand in his way, in his kingdom. But then we see the midwives. And we're still talking about them. Because what they did was just deliver more than babies. They delivered the one who would deliver their people, deliver the Israelites from bondage. Can I suggest to you, as I've been thinking about this this week, if you've gotten to a place in your life, in your journey, where you assume your posture in the life is meaningless... If you come to a place where you have felt that there's no significance in my life, no influence, that, that you don't have a voice, if you feel like you're in the second seat, you're in good company. Think of Shipra and Pua. Because in their story, and weaved throughout the word of God, true power emerges in surprising places. In fact, in the word of God, power and influence is never defined by the economy of this world. Paul says this, if you really want to have true strength, be in Christ. Because in Christ, true strength is found in weakness. Lo, to rise up. Because when we are weak, 
for whatever reason, we are in a place of vulnerability. I can't do it. That's what I felt this, since Thursday. I'm not going to be able to speak today. God, I need you. And in that vulnerability, we are weak. And we have created this venue in our hearts and our lives where the strength of God can come in and set up camp. And then he sets up camp and he lives and thrives and does what only the strength of God can do in and through us. It's always got to be about Christ. We've got to get out of the way and let God move. Not because we are strong, because we're weak, because we're humble. In another place, Paul says this, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the suppressing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Jesus himself sat down. He called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Does that describe your life? Does that describe the posture of your life? It did for Shipra and Pua. These midwives understood that because the texts tell us they feared God. Above everything else, they feared God. So because of that, I'm pretty sure they were Hebrew midwives. They knew the real God. But they, they feared God above everything else. They recognized that they were confronted by a human authority that put them in conflict with the divine authority. And they were like, no, 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 no. We have to be a God rather than him. They got it straight because they feared God. And again and again and again throughout the word of God, there is a witness of our sisters and brothers in the faith that say there are moments when the empire that's in charge has expectations that they're going to put on you to bow what they require. But there will be moments in our faith where you will be put in direct conflict with that system. And in those moments, it matters what you do. If you follow Jesus Christ, I promise, sooner or later, your way of life will be put in conflict with some human authority over your life. Then you need to be humble and turn to the Scriptures and follow the Holy Spirit and see what he does. You need to fear the Lord first and foremost. That human authority it can be your family. It can be your workplace. It can be your sphere of influence, your peer group at school, or it even can be your government. There will be moments where this world's power may make you try and follow the way of Pharaoh, but in Jesus Christ there is always another way. Yes, we need to respect those in authority. We also got to follow and fear God first and foremost in our lives. So these midwives deliver babies, right? But more than that, Shipra and Pua helped to give birth to a way of life. They helped give birth to an idea of deeper faith in God. What God wants matters the most. You and I are called to be midwives in this world. Midwives for the kingdom of God. Because you and I will continue to live in a world that has certain demands, certain expectations on us, and what it means to be alive. But beautiful are the followers of Jesus who are midwives helping bring God into this world through grace, 
through compassion, through mercy, through reconciliation. And only that love is found in Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is, is what this world needs so desperately. It's what I need so desperately every single morning. Jesus is what we need most. And we need to fear God like these midwives did. Fear God first and foremost in our life. So midwives was our second movement through this passage. Movement three is deep sighs. Give me your deep sigh. <sighs> Pharaoh's first plan was foiled, but he didn't give up. Listen to his plan B as we pick up the story in verse 22. So feel free to keep seated and let's read this next section. Then Pharaoh... love this part of the saga. It is filled with sighs. And a sigh is just another kind of groan. Like when we get close to 1030 and pastor's only on his second service and all you guys are like, ah. But this text is filled with sighs. Could you hear them as you read this? She gives birth and she thinks this baby was a special baby. What mother doesn't think her baby is special? They all do. And this mother sighs. Oh, what a special baby. Then I believe she has another sigh. This sigh turns to anguish because she knows the law and she knows she's supposed to throw her special son into the river. And she sighs, uh, Pharaoh, with anger and confusion and upsetness. She sighs. She does what Pharaoh ordered her, kind of, after three months. She takes a basket, she covers it with waterproofing so that it might float 
Where else have we heard a story about destruction that's coming through water? And now there's this floating vessel of hope. In this vessel, she places her special baby. I wonder how long she took to make sure that this, this vessel floated. And she walked down to the river and put it on the river just to check it out. How long did she make sure that everything was perfect? Makes me think about the first time you bring your baby home from the hospital. Make sure the car seat's put in, right? Ah, doesn't always work that way. We had Dylan in Grand Rapids. So we put him in. I get everything ready. Put the car seat in. We put the baby in the car seat. Drive all the way back to Zealand. We turn off the Zealand exit, and the car seat goes like this. <laughs> and Stacy sighed in anger. <laughs> and I sighed. Oh, no. First major parenting fail. But I believe at that moment, Moses' mother put Moses in a basket and put the basket in the river. That time she sighed again. A different time of a sigh. A sigh with bated breath. There's cracks in that water. The water's turbulent. There's so much unknown. You never know once. Once you relinquish your child into the waters of life, what will happen to that baby, do you? Some of you parents need to groan right now. So with bated breath, she sighs. Then the big sister is watching from the reeds. She watches as Pharaoh's daughter comes out. They knew her routine. They watched. They studied. The princess finds the basket. Her maids bring her the baby of the basket. They, they open it up, and, and Pharaoh's daughter sighs. <gasps> And has pity on this baby. She knows what her father asked for. She's supposed to dump that baby back into the river. But she's a teenager. A teenage girl. And she sighs a sigh of rebellion. Hot oh, dad, I'm not going to do that. And from the reeds, the big sister sees the baby. And they're, oh, there's hope. And she can't sigh because she's running so fast to get to... The princesses. And she says, I know there's a woman that can nurse the baby for you. And she goes and gets the baby's mother, who has a sigh of release. <gasps> My baby's okay. And then when he's uh, too old to nurse anymore, she has a sigh of anger. How long, Pharaoh? And she gives the baby back to the empire. This story is full of sighs and groans, and so are our lives. This passage goes on and says in verse 10 that Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, named, Moses, named the baby Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. There's significance there, which I find fascinating, because this child will grow up, and he'll lift his people from slavery where they had been for centuries. So I want you to think of all the sighing that has brought you to where you are today. All the sighs of hope and hurt. All the sighs of praise and pain. There is no sigh that is redemptive. No sigh. However, every sigh that you have sighed or others have sighed for you 
has a shaping power to lift you up to live in the freedom that God has for you, to lift you up to be the person that God has designed you to be. Every sigh that preceded Moses was making him ready to be the one that would lift his people out of captivity. You cannot lift someone up until you have been lifted up yourself. Let me say that again. You cannot lift someone up until you have been lifted up yourself. Hold on to that thought. We all know what happens to Moses. He grows up in the empire, in Pharaoh's home. And one day he sees an Egyptian beating up a Hebrew. So he steps in and he kills the Egyptian. Meanwhile, two Hebrews are watching him do that. The next day they are in an argument and Moses comes to try to break up that argument. And verse 14 says this, Who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Now his secret is out. Then Moses was afraid, thinking, Everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. Something interesting happens in Midian. He's an adult, and he comes to this place where the women are watering their father's flocks. And as he's watching, another group of shepherds come, and they bully the women at this well. Verse 17, it says this, So Moses jumped up, and he rescued the girls from the shepherds. Then he drew water for their flocks. This is powerful, because if your life is characterized by one sigh after another, it synthesizes you to recognize the needs of other people. If you have been the one that has been lifted up, you know something what it means to lift someone else up. But we got to be humble to be lifted up. The father of these daughters was so impressed. He welcomes Moses in. In time, he gives Moses one of his daughters in marriage. They have a son, and they name him Gershom. But listen to why they chose that name. I have been a foreigner and living in a foreign land. This is what Gershom meant, which essentially means Moses is having a crisis of identity. There are some days I feel like I am a Hebrew, but am I really? Some days I, I'm among the Hebrews, but I feel more like an Egyptian because I am raised in the house of privilege. There are other days when I'm in, with the Egyptians, and I, I, I know I'm not one of them. It feels like there's something going on trying to wake me up. Where am I from? And other days, now I'm in Midian, and I have this new home and this new family. But something in me is aching for my past, where I'm from, who I really am. I'm like a stranger in a foreign land, he thinks. Again, I always try to apply this as I'm walking through the passages. If you've ever been in a place of lostness like this, this lever of what's happening to me, I really don't know what's going on, I really don't know who I am or where I came from, that's the perfect posture for God to rescue you. It's the perfect posture for God to raise you up. Brought low to rise up. 
It's only when we come to that level of helplessness. Where am I? Where is this going? I have no idea what's happening. I feel like a stranger in a foreign land. It is in those moments that we are vulnerable enough to receive the help of God to raise us up. Something is happening. Something's emerging inside of us when we are down low. And in the passage, that sets the stage for my last movement. And in our lives, it sets the stage for God to do something in our lives. So the last movement is bad moons rising. Bad moons rising uses this weather imagery to make that point that something bad is lurking out there. Something bad is coming. Some of you, when you heard that phrase, bad moons rises, you immediately thought of this song. Bad moon's rising. That was fun. But the table is set in our passage for big things to come. Every kingdom of this world is under the illusion that it is ultimately in charge. But they have a bad moon rising. Every individual that thinks that they are all it, that the world revolves around them, they have a bad moon rising. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. At the end of our text today, there's a verse that changed everything about the course of the human hope from that movement forward. I want all of us to read these verses together. Years passed and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under the unheard there is no groan that rises up and God does not hear but it feels like that oh Lord how long it makes me think of many of the Psalms but Psalm 13 1 to 2 Lord how long will you forget me forever how long will you look the other way how long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? The text says that no groan stays grounded. It rises up. It rises up and makes its way to the ears of the Lord, and he hears our groan. He doesn't want to hear our complaints. He doesn't want to hear our... Uh, he wants to hear where our heart is at. He's there, ready to listen. Now go back to Romans chapter 8. Just a beautiful passage. This is what it said again. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. Go home and read the next section. But then verse 26 and the Holy Spirit helps us in our where? Weakness. In our, not in our strength. 
For example, we don't know how what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with what? He even groans. That cannot be expressed in words. You are not alone in your groaning. groaning. You're not sighing alone. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that there is God that not only hears your groans, but he matches your pitch. He remembers and he keeps his promises. Dave had us read Isaiah 53. Out of anguish of his soul, he shall see and be Satisfied, it says. The cross of Jesus Christ says, we are loved by a God that not only heard the groans, but he has chosen to take on those groans on his son Jesus Christ, on his own mortal body, so that we may lean towards a day when those groans are no more. It does not always mean that he will rescue us the moment that we groan. The passage says in verse 25, He, God, looked down on the people of Israel, and he knew it was time to act. God knew it was time to act, but not immediately. We won't see the rescue of the Israelites until chapter 15. But we see the length, and we see the process that God went through so that he could deliver those people. God knows the perfect time to act. We can look through the word of God and we can see the length and the process and God's love story towards us. We can be promised that he hears our groans and he has given us a way for eternal glory through his son, Jesus Christ. That's how we know Jesus acts. God knows the best time to act. He knew it with the Israelites, and he knows it with you and me. When you feel like God has forgotten you in your troubles, remember that God has a schedule that we cannot see. Remember the cross and the groaning of our Savior so that you and I can be delivered from bondage as well. It's okay to groan, but groan with hope. And praise God while you're doing it. So I've just got a few applications here at the end. When you groan, groan with hope. Don't grumble or don't moan, but groan. Our Father is listening. Be midwives in the culture, but don't be a jerk for Jesus. There's so much could be said in that line. Be obedient to the scripture. This is the authority of, in our lives. But do it in a way that shows compassion and understanding. Have eyes to see people like God sees people and then act. And be midwives in the culture. And finally, God is working and ready to act. What do you need to do this week in order to see what God is doing? And what do you need to do this week to be ready for God to act in your life? God wants to act. He's there for you. Be the type of person that's ready for that. Praise team, come up, let's pray. So Father, long passage of scripture today. 
But oh my, there's so much truth there. Thank you for being a God that acts. Rescuing us like you rescued the, the Israelites out of slavery. You rescued us out of the slavery of sin. And I'm so indebted and grateful to you. God, thank you for allowing my voice to hold up. I know it wasn't pretty. But God, in our weakness, you are made strong. I pray that's what happened this morning. In your precious name, amen.